Well, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Glad that you have joined us, as well as our campuses joining via video. Um, we are in 2 Kings, the 8th chapter. Uh, we just finished chapter, chapter 6 and 7. This is where there was this great siege on the uh, uh, city and, uh, because of the uh, uh, Syrians that had come up, these guys from Aram. And uh, things are so bad, people were eating their own kids and stuff. I mean, it was really bad. And the prophet came and said, listen, by this time tomorrow, it'll all be over. And one guy said, that's impossible. And, uh, but it happened. And it was quite amazing. And the guy who doubted God got trampled to death. And <clears throat> not a good thing to do. Anyway, so we're now at chapter 8, verse 1. Now, um, one of the things about, and we've read this before in the Old Testament, it's, it's not always chronologically correct. In other words, they stick things kind of... You know, they'll tell a story, and then all of a sudden they'll tell something that really belongs back here, and then they'll go back here. And that. So here is such a case. This is a reference, again, back to the Shunammite woman. This is the one that the, uh, Elijah had raised her son back to life. Remember the story? And uh, so it says, Now Elijah had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can, because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last seven years. Uh, the woman proceeded to do as the man of God said, and she and her family went away and stayed in the land of the Philistines for seven years. At the end of the seven years, she came back from the land of the Philistines and went to the king to beg for her house and land so she could get her stuff back. Well, the king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. Do you remember him? He's the guy who got himself in trouble and got stricken with leprosy and stuff. So clearly he's not, it's not chronologically correct here. He's not sitting there talking all full of leprosy. You know, the guy's probably dead by now, chronologically speaking. But anyway, um, so he's talking about Gehazi. He said, man, tell me about this man of God, Elisha. Tell me about some of the crazy, incredible things he's done. And just as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored uh, the dead to life, the woman whose son Elijah had brought back to life came to beg the king for her house and land. And Gehazi said, hey, here's the lady right here. Uh, that this all happened to, and the king asked the woman about it, she told him, and then he assigned an official to give to her case and give her back everything, blah, 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 blah. What the point of this is, I have no idea. But there it is. <laughs> Just this little thing that they stick in here. All right, now, continuing back in the normal line of things, Elisha now goes to Damascus. Damascus is in Syria. This is where the enemy, this is where uh, the Arameans and stuff like that that have been constantly... Uh, afflicting Israel. These guys had kind of a weird um, uh, relationship going here. As I said, uh, like back in feudal times in the Middle Ages, these kings and stuff would fight, but yet they had some degree of decorum between themselves, all kind of rather bizarre. Uh, I was reading a history thing today. They, they believed that at this time, uh, the Romanians, the Syrians, really had the upper hand, and they were pretty much tormenting Israel at will. Certainly, that's what just happened when they came and starved out the city to the point they were eating their own kids. But anyway, so Elijah shows up at Damascus, and, uh, and Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, was ill. And when the king was told, the man of God has come all the way up here. So they know about Elisha. This is the guy, that, remember, he sent his commander to get healed from him, and you know, they knew who he was and that God had spoken to him and was always letting him know what their plans were up to. They had a certain degree of respect for this great prophet, Elisha. So the guy's laying there. He's sicker than a dog. He's dead. He's, he feels like he's dying. He doesn't know what's going on. He hears all of a sudden the prophet comes to Damascus. So uh, he says to Hazael, or Haziel, uh, take a gift with you and go meet the man of God. Consult the Lord through him. Ask him, will I recover from this illness? He wants to know. What does God say on this? Am I going to die from this? What's the deal? 
So Hazael went to meet Elisha, taking with him as a gift 40 camel loads of all the finest words of Damascus. And he went in and stood before him and said, Your son, Benhadad, king of Aram, has sent me to ask, Will I recover from this illness? And of course, it's not really his son. This is a way of showing respect um, to older people. They would call them fathers, and therefore I'm your son. It's a way of saying we consider you a father, an elder, that kind of thing. And he wants to know, will I recover from this illness? And Elijah answers in kind of a strange way. We'll walk you through this here in just a second. But he says, go and say to him, you will certainly recover. But the Lord has revealed to me that he will in fact die. Hello. So go tell him he's going to recover, but God revealed to me he's going to die. Now this is one of these portions of scripture that can be a little bit problematic. I'm going to show you how we can unscramble this egg rather easily. Although we do have evidence in the past. God does not lie, by the way, in any way, shape, or form. But he has been known to misdirect. (laughs) Uh, You remember when... uh, Uh, God told Samuel, whoever to go uh, anoint David as king. And Samuel said, I'm not going to do that. They're going to, Saul finds out about it, he's going to kill me. And God said, well, if anybody asks you, tell them you're going up there to worship. Well, isn't that kind of a lie? It's not really a lie because he probably did go and worship and stuff, but that wasn't the real purpose of it. So some people would, you know, who are real picky about that. Well, that's a white lie or something. First of all, God does not give white lies or any other kind of lies. But it certainly misdirected this guy because he didn't want the guy to get killed, and he probably did worship when he got there. Uh, so when I read this, I thought, okay, is this another one of those, these misdirect things? Uh, uh, but then you've you got to kind of read ahead. Sometimes they talk, talk about things that you've got to read ahead to find out why, what they're talking about, put it all in context. It's all kind of strange stuff. But anyway, here's the deal. Elisha is a prophet. He sees things all the time. The deal is, Haziel is intending to murder uh, Ben-Hadad, or whatever his name is, yeah, Ben-Hadad. So now, Haziel hasn't told him this. He's not going to tell anybody this, but it's basically his plan. So he comes, and uh, he basically says, hey, uh, Ben-Hadad wants to know if he's going to recover from this sickness. And Elisha says, well, he certainly will recover. In other words, the sickness is not what's going to kill him. But then he stops and he looks at him and says, but the Lord has revealed to me that he will in fact die. And then the very next verse says, and he stared at him with a fixed gaze until Haziel felt ashamed. So clearly he's looking at him and he can see what the guy's up to, what's going to happen. Uh, So it's not a lie and it's not even a misdirect. It's the fact that he said, will he recover from the illness? Sure. Except... I find out he's going to die, looking straight at the guy. And then he just stops and stares at him, which just, I'm sure, creeps the guy out. And he kept staring at him so long, the guy felt ashamed. Why would he feel ashamed? Well, first of all, it's a little creepy, somebody staring at me. Secondly, maybe he could sense that he could tell what he was up to, whatever, stuff like that. But then, then Elisha starts to cry. And that's got to really creep him out. Now, I got to tell you, men do not like crying. It's the ultimate nuclear weapon that women have. Because we'll, we'll do whatever until the lady starts crying. Don't no, stop, stop, please, for the love of heaven, don't cry. And then I came like a deck of cards, you know. And uh, so, but so it's bad enough when a woman, when a guy cries, we're talking serious creep factor here, you know. 
So the guy's standing there, he's creeping out, he's finally feeling revealed. And then all of a sudden, Elijah starts crying, which had to really make him feel uncomfortable. And he says, why are you crying? And the reason he was crying is because, remember, he's looking into the sky. He's staring at him, clearly seeing what he's going to do to Ben-Hadad. And looking even farther beyond, because he's going to then, because of this coup that he's going to do, killing the king, then he's going to become the king. And he can see that uh, God is going to use this guy to bring judgment on the children of Israel, which is serious stuff. So um, he said, why are you weeping? He says, because I know the harm you will do to the Israelites, he answered. You will set fire to their fortified places. You will kill their young men with the sword. You will dash their little children to the ground and rip open their pregnant women. This guy is going to come and just slaughter all kinds of Israelites. And Haziel said, how could your servant, a mere dog, I'm a nothing. How can I accomplish such a feat? Now, sick thinking these people have. To him, pulling something like that off would be a great feat. You know, I think, I was, how, how could I do something so horrible is what I'd be thinking. All right, but he's like, how, I'm, no, I'm nobody. How, how can I pull off such a thing? And uh, he said, the Lord has showed me that you will become king of Aram. So then anyway, Haziel leaves Elisha and returns to his master. And when Ben-Hadad asked, what did Elisha say to you? And Haziel replied, well, he told me you would certainly recover. But the next day, he took a thick cloth, soaked it in water, spread it over the king's face, suffocated him. So he died. And then Haziel succeeded him as king. And clearly the prophet saw this the whole time. Now, you would think if, if the prophet saw this, why wouldn't the prophet try and, you know, bring a curse on him? Remember, these guys could just go like that and fire from heaven and fall and stuff. Because he realized that God was going to raise him up to do this thing as judgment on, on Israel. Um, you all remember the story of, uh, of, you know, Jonah and the whale, Nineveh and stuff. And God told him to go speak to the Ninevites so they would repent and Jonah didn't want to do it, and he ran from God. And a million gazillion sermons have been preached along the line of, well, you know, that's because he didn't want to go evangelize, and he didn't want to go share the good news of God. And he was trying to run from God. From... Not exactly. You see, the same scenario was at play. Because it had been prophesied that the Ninevites would come and bring great judgment on Israel. So when God speaks to uh, Jonah to go speak to them so they would repent, See, they knew God. They understood how this stuff works. If they repent, then God will bless them. They will become this great power, and that prophecy will come true, and they will bring judgment on Israel. And he didn't want to see that happen. So he tries to run from God. He figures if I don't preach and uh, they don't repent, then God will have to judge them first, and everything is good. So that's some of the motives behind some of these things. He wasn't just running because he was afraid to preach. Anyway, God, big whale swallows him and pukes him up on the land, and eventually... Preaches, and he was a preacher. And remember, he got mad that they repented. Remember? Sometimes you wonder, why would he get mad? Why was he mad that he repented? See, because you've got to put it all in context. The reason he's mad is because, well, now rats, now they're going to repent. And now God's going to bless them, and they're going to bring this horrible judgment. Is this kind of same scenario when uh, the prophet looks at him and sees the judgment that is coming on the people. And in fact, we will see that Haziel does do these horrible things. And God uses... Uh, the Syrians to uh, 
greatly bring judgment on a very badly behaving nation. Okay, so then we go on, and now uh, Jehoram uh, becomes king of Judah. It says, in the fifth year of Jehoram, son of Ahab, king of Israel, when Jehoshaphat was king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, became, uh, began his reign as king of Judah, blah, 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 blah. He was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Is this a good thing? No, it's a bad thing. The kings of Israel were rats. These guys kept sitting against God over and over and over again. Talk about clueless people. And God would send prophets and speak into these people's lives. By the way, um, uh, a lot of the Old Testament prophets that you read about or read through here, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and uh, Amos, some of these guys here, I think it was Amos, but a lot of these guys, they were prophets who were prophesying during these times when these kings were just out of control and, and speaking about judgment and stuff. So even though we're going quickly through this, there's whole portions of it in great detail where they will mention some of these kings by name and stuff and tell them they need to repent and God's going to bring judgment. But these guys wouldn't listen. And uh, so um, he kept doing the same things uh, that the kings of Israel had been doing. And um, as the house of Ahab had done before, he married, for he married a daughter of Ahab. So he basically marries Ahab's daughter and keeps doing all these horrible things. He does evil in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, for the sake of his servant David, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah as because he had promised to maintain a lamp of David for David and his descendants forever. Because we know that the Messiah comes through the line of David. So he's not going to wipe out the line of David, although he got close a couple of times. He got down, I think, twice to one surviving heir. Uh, but God would keep it going because of his promise uh, to David. So, um, so anyway, um, you can read more about this. So he's talking a little bit about him. Then uh, in verse 25, uh, it says, In the twelfth year of Joram, the king of, a son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, son of Joram, king of Judah, began to reign. So now we've got two kings. We've got uh, the kings, uh, the king, the new king in Judah is now Jehoram, uh, the new king in Israel, or, or uh, no, 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 Judah. Oh, I'm sorry, then Ahaziah replaces that guy. I'm sorry, I'm getting all confused with my kings here. King here, left king, right king, right king. Okay, all right. So he's 22 years old. He starts to reign. Um, he also did evil in the eyes of the Lord. All nasty stuff. Um, verse 28, Ahaziah went with Joram, son of Ahab, to war against Haziel. Who's that? That's the guy who just knocked off the other guy who's now fighting the Israelites. Uh, anyway, the Arameans wounded Joram, so King Joram returned to Jezreel to recover from, his, from the wounds the Arameans had inflicted on him at Ramoth in his battle with Haziel, king of Jeram. Uh, then Ahaziah, son of Joram, king of Judah, went down to Jezreel to see Joram, son of Ahab, blah, 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 blah. So we got Joram, and we've got Ahazi, and uh, these two kings, okay? They're all doing their deal. Well, now we get to chapter 9. Uh, the prophet Elisha, who's still kicking here, uh, he's, he's, he's going to be dying not too soon from here, but uh, far from here, but now he summons, summoned a man from the company of the prophets. So he gets one of the other prophets and says to him, tuck in your cloak into your belt. Take this flask of oil with you and go to Ramoth Gilead. The reason for tucking in, in other words, run, get going. You got to go fast. When you get there, look for Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. Go to him, get him away from his companions and take him to an inner room. And then take the flask, pour the oil on his head 
and declare, this is what the Lord says, I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and run. It's like lighting a firecracker. Ah, out of there, okay? Because these people are all psycho crazy, very violent people. And so the young man, the prophet, went down to Ramoth, and when he arrived, he found the army of officers all sitting together. And he said, I have a message for you, commander. For which one of us? Asked Jehu. Well, for you. So Jehu got up and went into the house, and then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anoint you king over the Lord's people, Israel. You are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master, and I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. Because Jezebel and Ahab had killed so many of the Lord's prophets. And it had been prophesied, I believe, by Elijah that they were all going to die. And uh, particularly Jezebel was going to die of a particularly horrid death. The dogs were going to eat her or something like that. Um, so he's basically anointing this guy. So I want you to do it. You're the guy now. Sometimes God speaks and it doesn't happen right away. Sometimes, oftentimes, God will speak a word and it's a long time before it comes to pass. You know, it's an interesting thing. I know sometimes people will have someone come to them and say, you know, I really feel God wants me to say something to you. And then they'll say something and it may not make any sense to you at all. Well, you don't want to just run off and go chasing after because you don't know the timing on it. You know, um, someone might come to you and say, listen, uh, the Lord told me that, uh, you know, when you take your trip, don't, don't be afraid. And you have no trip planned at all, okay? Maybe two years later, circumstances come about and God has blessed you and the money came in to go on a missions trip and just before you go, there's trouble uh, in that country and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will remind you, remember I told you two years ago, go on the trip and don't be afraid. It'll be okay. Stuff like that. I mean, it, it all kinds, prophecies sometimes get very uh, disconnected from the immediate time. That's why it's called prophecy. It happens at a different time. So anyway, um... The whole house of Ahab will perish. I will cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave and free. So he, he brings an end to Ahab. There was no promise to him like to David. I will bring the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebet, uh, like the house of Basha, son of Asia. All these wicked people basically saying they're going to end up very badly like all these other guys. As for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and no one will bury her. And then he opened the door, and he ran. Well, Jehu went out with, to his fellow officers, and one of them said, is everything okay? Why was that knucklehead here? <laughs> who's, this, who's this wacko, this, this madman, you know? And uh, it's kind of funny. I, I was meeting in the church uh, of a few weeks or so ago, maybe not that long ago. Anyway, with some people in the church who have, you know, the Bible talks about different spiritual gifts in the church that people have and stuff. And one of them the Bible refers to in the New Testament is this gift of prophecy. Now, it doesn't always necessarily mean projecting the future. Sometimes it's just little bits and words here. Sometimes uh, God uses them to uh, give some insight and stuff. I don't know if they're even aware of it, you know, but they'll come to me and say, you know, I really feel God is saying such, a, and they'll say it, and it just kind of blows me away because that's exactly what I needed to hear. They didn't even know what I was going through, you know. So I got some of those people together, and, uh, and I was sharing with them. I said, in this church, the Bible says we should let the prophet speak. And I was encouraging them, you need to speak. If you feel like you have a word from God for any of us in leadership, you need to come. We want to hear this. There's an open door here. You feel God, any of you, any of y'all, all y'all. I've got anybody watching my video, anybody. You think you got a word for God from me? I want to hear this. Okay. And I said, but you have to let us, you know, instruct you as well. The Bible says, let the prophet speak and the others judge. 
Some places, places they don't like anybody with spiritual gifts, so they shut it down. Or other, sometimes people with spiritual gifts will do it, but they don't like anybody telling them what to do. You know, I said, it goes both hands. So I was encouraging them. And, and I said, and, and, and one of the things, because, uh, well, you have to see who they were, but it's none of your business. But anyway, I says, one of the things you have to get comfortable with about people who have spiritual gifts like this, especially prophetic gifts, I said, you tend to be kind of weird. And they all looked at me and started giggling, you know, because they all, they're all kind of, I said, y'all know it, you know, y'all are a little strange. Because they just see things a little bit differently. And they got little insights and they tend to be a little quirky. I don't know why God uses people like that, but why God uses me, I have no idea. But uh, so anyway, when I read this, I, I laughed because I thought of those guys, you know, this madman, he's a madman, he's very odd. What, what did he want? And he says, ah, you know, the man, the sort of things he says, he's a prophet, prophets are prophets. So Jehu kind of basically blows it off. They said, no, no, that's not true. Come on, tell us. What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? And Jehu said, well, that's what he told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. And as soon as they heard that, they hurried and took off their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. They immediately responded. Pretty interesting, huh? So anyway, we continue here. Now, so Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Okay, so you got Joram, the king of Israel. You've got Ahazah, the king of Judah. So he comes against both these guys. Now, Joram and all Israel had been defending Ramoth Gilead against, guess who? Haziel, king of Aram. But King Joram, we just read this, had returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds from this battle that he had with uh, Haziel, king of Aram. Well, Jehu said... If this is the way you feel, don't let anyone slip out of the city and go and tell the news in Jezreel. So he's basically saying to these guys, if you think I'm king, then uh, seal off the city. We're going to go after these kings. Then he got into his chair and he rode to Jezreel because Joram was resting there and Ahaziah, king of Judah, had gone there down to see them. So both kings from both kingdoms are right there. When the lookout standing on the tower in Jezreel saw Jehu's troops approaching, he called out and said, I see some troops coming. And Joram says, well, get a horseman. Send him to meet them and ask, do you come in peace? So the horseman rode off to meet Jehu and said, this is what the king says. Do you come in peace? And Jehu says, what do you have to do with peace? Fall in behind me. But the lookout reported, uh... Uh, the messengers reached them, but uh, he's not coming back. So the king sent out a second horseman. And when he came, he said, this is what the king says. Do you come in peace? Jehu replied, what do you have to do with peace? Fall in behind me. And the lookout reported, uh, <laughs> uh, he reached him, but he's not coming back either. And this guy's driving. I mean, he's driving that chariot. He's like a psycho. He's like that Jehu, son of Nimshi, he drives like a madman. But Joram, here it's this. He says, hitch up my chariot. And when it was hitched up, Joram, king of Israel, and Hazai, king of Judah, rode out, each in his own chariot, to meet Jehu. They met him at the plot of ground that had belonged to Naboth the Jezreelite. When Joram saw Jehu, he asked them, have you come in peace, Jehu? And Jehu says, how can there be peace as long as all the idolatry and witchcraft of your mother Jezebel abound? Oh, this is not good news for Joram. <laughs> Apparently, you're not coming in peace. So he turns, and he runs, and he calls out to Ahaziah, who hadn't caught up yet. 
treachery, Ahaziah, get out of here, it's treachery. And then Jehu drew his bow. It's in my Bible right there. Zoom. And shot Joram between the soldiers, shoulders. And the arrow pierced his heart. Good shot. Ooh. Very impressive. The guys did a full retreat on a chariot, and you could take one shot and go right through the guy's heart. That's like Robin Hood, man. So the arrow pierced his heart, and he slumped down in his chariot. Jehu said to Bidkar, his chariot officer, pick him up, throw him on the field that belonged to Namath the Jezreelite. Remember how you and I were riding together in chariots behind Ahab, his father, when the Lord made this prophecy about him? Yesterday I saw the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, declares the Lord, and I will surely make you pay for it on this plot of ground, declares the Lord. Now then, pick him up and throw him out on that plot in accordance to the word of the Lord. So, I mean, this Jehu is like really on fire for God at this point, and he's wanting to do, and he, God is using him to fulfill the prophecies that had been said years ago. Nothing had happened. Now it's happening. And he had prophesied that this guy would die on this plot of ground, and sure enough, he did. So they take his body and whip it out onto the ground. Well, uh, then when Ahazi, king of Judah, saw what had happened, well, he fled up the road to Beth Hagen, I bet. Well, Jehu chased him, shouting, Kill him too! And then they wounded him in his chariot on the way up to Gur near Iblium. These guys got to find better names. But he escaped to Megiddo, <laughs> and he died there. Anyway, so they weren't able to get the kill shot, but they wounded him enough that he got to wherever he was, and then he bled out, so he dies. And uh, his servants uh, took him by chariot to Jerusalem and buried him with his fathers in the tomb, uh, in his tomb in the city of David. Okay, in the 11th year of Joram, son of Ahab, Azai became king of Judah. Okay, then anyway, then Jehu went to Jezreel. This is where Jezebel's hanging out. So he just knocked off the king of Israel, or the king of Judah. I'm sorry, the king of Israel first, and then the king of Judah. And now he comes cruising into town where Jezebel, the queen, the wicked queen, this nasty lady. And uh, she hears about it. And she is one stubborn, mean lady. And to the end, this woman was defiant. And it says she painted her eyes and arranged her hair and looked out the window. So she got herself all dolled. She knew what was coming. She knew that you were there to take him out, and she was going to go out in style. So she comes out with her hair all done and her eyes all painted up, and she comes out in all her arrogance and uh, looks out the window. And as Jehu entered the gate, she asked, Have you come in peace, Zimri, you murderer of your master? She knew what he had done. I mean, she just... This is one in-your-face lady. She's a butt kicker, but, but not a godly butt kicker. This is like a psycho-crazy butt kicker. <laughs> so, uh, Jehu looks up, and he says, and because there's other guys looking down, you know, everybody's scared to death of this lady. Jezebel, she's one mean, hoochie mama lady, killed all kinds of people, and everybody, all the prophets of God, she was trying to kill them and stuff like that, and she's up there peacocking around, just yelling back at him, and Jehu says, who's on my side? Who? And a couple of eunuchs went, uh, <laughs> I'll join you. <laughs> okay. So they raise their hand and says, he says to them, throw her down. So they grabbed her and they whipped her out the window. Oh! And then some of her blood spattered the wall and the horses as they trampled her underfoot. 
Ew. It's so gross. So they fall out, and then they take their horses and just squishing her like a bug. And Jehu went in and had some lunch. <laughs> Man, you got to be one cold-hearted dude. Man, I don't know. I'd be going, bleh, you know, just, another sandwich here. Would you like fries with that? So he's, he's in there eating lunch. And then he finally says, all right, take care of that cursed woman and bury her. She was a king's daughter. after, So he's trying to afford her some kind of respect. Uh, again, kind of strange. These guys would even go so far as to kill each other, but then even in killing, they'd show some kind of respect to them because they were a king or something, just because of the, uh, the position they had. But remember, the prophecy was that she would never be buried. So uh, when they went out to bury her, they found nothing except her skull and her feet and her hands. That means a whole bunch is missing. <laughs> Head, hands, feet. Nothing else in the middle. Ooh. So they went back and told Jehu, uh, this is the word of the Lord that he spoke to his servant Elijah, the Tishbite, on the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs will devour Jezebel's flesh. Jezebel's body will be like refuse on the plot in the, uh, on the ground in the plot at Jezreel. Again, these guys, these NIV translators, they always were so proper and afraid of saying, anyway, she's going to turn into poop, is what he's saying. That's a lovely thing to say. Your body will become like caca on the ground. And that's exactly what happens. The dogs ate her and out she came. So no one will be able to say this is Jezebel. No, it'll look like dog caca. That's what it'll look like. <laughs> Woo! Nasty stuff. All right, so now he's not done. Jehu's on a terror, okay? I went, oh, am I out of time already? Hochi mama, let me finish some of this. Uh, now there were in Samaria 70 sons of the house of Ahab. Whoa. So, you know, this boy had been busy. You got 70 sons? You're a busy boy. I don't know how many wives he had, but it was more than one. Or one really tired lady. <laughs> yeah, so he's got 70. 70 sons. And remember, God's going to bring judgment and wipe out the whole line. So Jehu writes letters and sent them to Samaria, to the officials of Jezreel, to the elders and to the guardians of Ahab's children. And he says this, As soon as this letter reaches you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city and weapons, choose the best and most worthy of your master's sons. Pick one of these guys, set him on his father's throne, and then fight for your master's house. So he's basically saying, I killed your stinking rotten king and his witch of a mother, and I'm coming to town. So better go pick yourself a new king. You got 70 to pick from. Get a good one. Well, they were terrified and said, if he could knock off two kings, how can we resist this guy? So the palace administrator, the king, and the city governor, and the elders of the guardian sent this message to Jehu. We are your servants. <laughs> Whatever you want. We'll do anything you say. We will not appoint anyone as king. You can do whatever you think is best. On the day who wrote them a second letter saying, if you're on my side and will obey me, then take the heads of your master's sons and come to me in Jezreel by this time tomorrow. 
Now the royal princes, 70 of them, were with the leading men of the city who were rearing them, taking care of them. When the letter arrived, these men took the princes and slaughtered all 70 of them. And they put their heads in baskets and sent them to Jehu in Jezreel. When the messenger arrived, he told Jehu, oh, got some heads out there for you. <laughs> and, and Jehu said, well, put them in two piles at the entrance of the city gate until morning. Wow, huh? Oh, mama. The next morning, Jehu went out and he stood before all the people and said, you're innocent. It was I who conspired against my master and killed him, but, but who killed all these? Know then that not a word the Lord has spoken against the house of Ahab will fail. The Lord has done what he promised to his servant Elijah. So Jehu killed everyone in Jezreel who remained of the house of Ahab, as well as all of his chief men, all of his close friends, his priests, leaving him no survivors. Wow. So that took care of Ahab's side of the deal. And then Jehu went out and went towards Samaria and met some relatives of Ahaziah, or Ahaziah, yeah, king of Judah, and said, who are you? And they said, well, we're relatives of Ahaziah. Bad answer. And they come down to greet the families of the kings and queens, and he yells, take them alive. So they took them alive and slaughtered them, 42 men, and he left. No survivor. Whoa. Hochi mama. So anyway, we'll, we'll pick this up next week as we continue on this and find out. But you talk about the judgment of God. Then he tricks all the prophets of Baal, the false prophets, to come over for dinner. <laughs> I would not have gone. <laughs> it's a bad dinner for them. <laughs> it doesn't work out well. Uh, and then some real intrigue, you know, this is like movie kind of stuff, you know, where they're hiding uh, the last final heir to the throne and how he comes back and, and uh, uh, he actually becomes king in Israel at the age of seven years old. Very interesting. We're going to read about that. It's kind of some fascinating stuff here. And then we're basically going to keep going in and start wrapping up. We'll start skipping over a whole bunch of stuff here about all these different kings of Israel and then start show you what happens as a result of this continuing refusal to listen to God and how judgment comes on. And we'll read about the final king of Israel. And there were no more after that. Interesting stuff. So we'll pick it up again next Wednesday.